The New York Times pushes an alleged report showing 3,000 COVID deaths per day by June 1st. LGBT activists rally to shut down a Christian field hospital. And Gabrielle Union says transgender kids feel disposable if parents don't transition them. I'm Rasheed James and you're watching the Rasheed James Days Show. Invisalign over other aligners. Are they comfortable and safe to wear? I asked her doctor for a better alternative to braces, and he said, Only Invisalign aligners are made with SmartTrack technology. Based on years of research, it moves teeth more comfortably and predictably than ordinary aligners. And in many cases, it works faster than braces. So I can develop a custom treatment plan that'll work for each of these smiles. That's why Invisalign aligners have transformed millions of smiles. Invisalign, transforming smiles, changing lives. Good morning, good evening, and good day, everybody. It is Cinco de Mayo, and we got a whole variety of different topics to talk about today. It's not going to be the same old, same old as we usually do every day, where we talk about Joe Biden, et cetera, and many other different things. But we do have something to do. But today's uh, um, podcast has something to do with Gabrielle Union, it has something to do with the New York Times, it has something to do with Michelle Obama, and so on and so forth. We're going to have a very, very different podcast today. Uh, we're not going to be talking about the same things over and over again, because I'm, I'm sure many of you guys are sick of the Biden allegations. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of getting pretty old. We've been talking about it for a couple of days now, and it's getting pretty boring. So let's get started with our first topic of today. It is the New York Times pushes alleged report showing 3,000 COVID deaths per day by June 1st. White House says, that's not true. You know, that, that kind of sounds very preposterous. Like, uh, to say this is going to be 3,000 COVID deaths Every day, by June first. Mm, I don't think so. I don't think once June starts that we're gonna have deaths in a thousands every day. That's a bit. That's a bit radical. I would say. Um, that sounds like something that will happen if we did not. Uh, if we did not. Maybe it will be like people contracting it if we didn't have social distancing, but we're all following the social distancing processes. Um. Many of the United States people are very healthy. Some of them are not, of course. Uh, but many of United States citizens are very healthy. But to say that we'll have 3,000 COVID deaths per day is a bit much. If we're talking about nationally, 3,000 deaths, I mean, or internationally, I mean, um, maybe that might be a bit rational. But saying that 3,000 deaths in the United States every day by June 1st, mm, no. This just seems very radical. Okay. Let's read the article. It says on Monday, rumors circulated that the United States is predicted to have 200,000 new confirmed cases and 3,000 novel coronavirus deaths daily by June 1st. The New York Times, for example, ran with the report, suggesting the modeling figures were attributed to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and uh, cited in a presentation by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA. Okay, the Trump administration, however, pushed back on the reporting Monday night, uh, n noting that the model data is not effective, reflective of any of the modeling done by the task force. So why should we believe whatever they say? Shouldn't we listen to the president and his people? 
Mm, this is where I get confused. This is where it gets confusing. Should we follow the CDC and FEMA? Or should we follow the task force? Well, honestly, we don't know. It's only a matter of time that we would know. Okay. Nor has it been properly vetted or presented during a White House task force meeting. So, if you didn't hear it from the task force, if you didn't hear it from uh, Dr. Burks or uh, Anthony Fauci, you shouldn't believe it. Especially if it's run by the uh, New York Times. Okay. The the daunting New York Times report positioned the alleged internal data against President Donald Trump's promise to start reopening the American economy. As President Trump's presses for states to report to their economies, I mean to reopen their economies, his administration is privately projecting steady rise in the number of coronavirus cases and deaths over the next several weeks. The Times report. So this is what the report said, honestly. They are basically blaming Trump wanting to reopen the country on 3,000 deaths. That is very radical and very ridiculous. If the, if the White House did not claim that this is happening or this will possibly happen, I, I don't think we should believe it. Okay, the daily toll, death toll will reach about 3,000 on June 1st, according to an inter, internal document obtained by the New York Times. Okay, how are we supposed to believe that the New York Times just randomly got a paper and it said, oh, we might have 3,000 deaths. What if one of the reporters said, you know what, mm, let's write this down. Let's make Trump look bad. Let's say that it's all Trump's fault, that there's going to be death. Okay. Uh, 70% increase from the current number of about 1,750. However, according to the Trump administration, the CDC and... Oh, so it wasn't even the CDC who said it. It was just FEMA. Or it was some. It was somebody... Who was somebody that we don't know that said that there might be three thousand? But here is what this here is what the Trump administration, the CDC, and Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Um, what this is what they're saying. Okay, so it says, however, according to the Trump administration, the CDC, and the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, that is untrue. We are not going to have three thousand deaths. Well, an estimate of three thousand deaths per day. That's a bit ridiculous. Quote, the president's phase guidelines to open up America again are a scientific-driven approach that the top health and infectious disease experts in the federal government agreed with. The statement continued a clear rebuke of the Times' political angle hitting Trump for advancing any economic reopening of the country. Okay, so obviously, we know the New York Times is left-wing, and now they're telling us that because Trump wants to reopen a country, that there's going to be 3,000 deaths every day. That's so absurd and so ridiculous that you are scaring people into thinking that they're going to die because Trump said he wants to reopen the country and get the economy going back. You know, it's just so much fear-mongering when times of trouble come. Like, whenever things happen that are troubling, like, if there was a massive shooting, they will blame all white people are white supremacists and then they fear monger that black people are going to get shot in their school because they're black and that there's going to be a mass shooter coming in with a swastika on his shirt or something. You know, that's just fear mongering. Okay. Quote, the health of the American people remains president Trump's top priority. And that will continue as we monitor the effects by the, by states to ease restrictions. The statement concluded. 
So that is what FEMA, that is what, well, Sarah Cox said this. But this is what FEMA and uh, the the Trump administration and Johns Hopkins is trying to say. Johns Hopkins, uh, Johns Hopkins of Bloomberg School of Public Health released a statement similarly pushing back against the Times report, noting that it concluded that it included preliminary analysis and emphasizing that and emphasizing that it was not intended to be used as a forecast. And it's not accurate to present them as forecasts. So they should not be presenting them as this is real information, as this is real like uh, analysis from these medical officials. You didn't hear from a medical official. That's why that's, that's exactly what Johns Hopkins are, is saying. You didn't hear this from an official, so don't represent it as it's real news. It's fake. So uh, obviously, the the people over at the New York Times needs to fix themselves and they need to try not to create fake news and then they get called off for it. So, you know what? They should just control themselves and start reading more and you have thousands of people working for you. I mean, I wouldn't say thousands. Hundreds of people working for you and uh, you should be able to do things the right way. You should have editors. You should have um, different types of people, writers uh, that should be figuring out what to put on their news site, what to post, and see if it's legitimate news, not just see a random paper on the ground in your office and say, okay, let's go with this. We'll be back with more information after this break. This is the story of how Danny, a soon-to-be college grad and a Grammarly user, connects with Tyler, the key to her dream job. Our story begins in her head, where she has many tabs open, three of which will be pivotal. The first, her senior thesis about journalism's effect on music. Once she subtracts unnecessary words and adds one necessary citation, it will earn her a degree that will hang right here. Second, there's the social media post that she'll write while here at a concert for the band Concrete Sound. You haven't heard of them. Her post will reach Tyler, who'll say, That's good. And check out her other work, which brings us to number three, Danny's self-published article, with the perfect words to describe the perfect horn section, which will make Tyler feel this. And hire her. Really? Yes, really. And that is how Danny came to sit right here at her dream job. Grammarly, helping you connect. Go to Grammarly.com to download. LGBT activists rallied to shut down a Christian-filled hospital. This is what the gay rights movement has become. So, obviously, uh, people are going out there trying to help people through these hard times. And obviously, there's other people who just won't let other people help people. (laughs) You know, those same people who just disagree with you just because of your religion. And just can't agree to some moral things, like moral values, like human decency. Okay, so a Christian organization, probably a church, opened a field hospital. And LGBTQ gay rights movement people started to berate and rallied to shut them down. Because they're Christian, of course. Not all Christians hate LGBTQ people, but honestly, if you are a Christian, you just don't support it. Okay. Samaritan's Purse, a charitable Christian organization, 
has been essentially run out of New York City after opening a volunteer field hospital to help care for COVID-19 patients. Their operation in the city was coming to an end soon, in, in, in any case, as the outbreak is increasingly brought under control. But local media reports that controversy over the group's religious views, quote, and I quote, controversy over the group's religious views, contributed to the decision to shut it down earlier than expected. To be clear, the, quote, controversy is that Samaritan's Purse is Christian, and radical LGBTQ activists hate Christians. It really is that simple. Okay, so, this is what I have a problem with. LGBTQ, or gay people, or lesbians, whatever they are, whoever they are, they hate when you disagree with them, but we don't shut you down. We don't tell you you can't be gay. We don't tell you you can't be lesbian. We don't tell you you can't be trans. We don't do that to you. Because that's you. That's your right. You can do whatever you want with your life. But to shut people down because they're Christian is wrong. That is actual uh, political um, harassment. Or uh, what would you call it? Um, that's actual fascism. Shutting people down because they disagree with you. You know, these people probably didn't have anything on their mind about gay people. They probably didn't care. Most people who are Christian don't really care about gay people. Why should we care about people that's not us? You know, you should only care for yourself and your family. But why should we care about gay people? They're none of our business. They're none of our business. Why should we be worried about somebody else's life? But this is what's wrong with gay people sometimes. They like to be in other people's business. Especially straight people. They like to call us um, cis fascists. Um, white male uh, uh, fascists. Or you're... You have male privilege or blah, 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 this. You have heterosexual privilege. You have this. You have that. Even though there's a whole movement for you, you have your own parade. You have your own law that is set for you to be married to each other. You have many things that you have and you still hate on Christians for being Christian? Because if we turned around and said, ew, you're gay. Why should we accept you? Then it will be an uproar of hatred on every single person that's Christian. There's an attack on Christianity in this country, and it needs to stop. Religion is not so bad. I'm not a Christian myself, but religion is not so bad. It should go without saying that Samaritan's Purse never discriminated against any patients. It volunteered to serve and help anyone, no matter their sexual orientation, and that's exactly what it did. But extremist gay groups like... Reclaim Pride Coalition rallied to have the volunteers chase out of town and are now celebrating the closing of the field hospital as a, quote, victory of the LGBTQ community and other oppressed groups. First of all, gay people are not oppressed. You are allowed to go to a bar and be gay. You're allowed to walk down the street and be gay. What you're not allowed to be is straight anymore. They hate on you because you're straight. And I said, no, I don't like dudes. What are you talking about? Or if a man got mad because a dude was telling him, yo, you're cute, whatever. And they said, don't do that shit with me. If they said, no, ew, why are you talking about that? They were like, what are you, homophobic? No, you just don't want to be talked to like that by another dude. But obviously, the LGBT community likes to play the victim. They like to play a... Um, yeah, they like to play victim. They love victimization. It's just a, it's just their culture. It's victim culture. They like to go to uh, 
Christian bakeries and say, I want you to make me a gay cake, even though the people are Christian and they don't support that. Just go to a different bakery, not make an uproar of anger and protest a bakery, you know, Um, because that's everybody's total right to serve whoever they want to. A member of the coalition cast castigated, I don't know how to say this word, so correct me if I'm wrong, castigated New York City for, quote, bringing a huge, dangerous bigot into our midst. Okay, you guys are the bigots. You guys are the absolute bigots. If you're telling people that they can't believe something because they're a certain thing, or they're a certain way, or they're a certain gender, or they're a certain race, then you're the bigot. Understand the complete hypocrisy and the complete double standard with the left, including gay people. You know, they're just so... So, um, double standard. They double standardize everything. You can't call, you can't, uh, say anything's wrong with being gay, but I can tell you that you're wrong for being a Christian. That's double standard. Which is perhaps an overly hostile way to describe a field hospital. It's a field hospital. Why are you calling them bigots? They're helping people. I'm sure my little Yiannopolis would have no problem with a Christian organization helping people during the midst of a uh, a coronavirus or a, a very bad health pandemic. Is, is it that serious that you have to bring your whole political affiliation or your beliefs into a hospital? You have to be angry at people because they are at a hospital helping people when people are dying. You guys say that you love lives and all lives matter, right? These, uh, no, I'm sure, no, no, they actually don't. They say Black Lives Matter. If you want to say Black Lives Matter, even though most of New York City has a very high uh, melting pot, so there's a lot of black people, a lot of Hispanic people, a lot of Asian people, a lot of white people. There's different types of people. And um, uh, if you want to say that Black Lives Matter, then don't close a field hospital because they're Christian. Okay? You guys don't understand the hypocrisy. Why are you closing down places? Okay. Overly hostile is the name of the game where three particular LGBT activists are concerned. A video posted by Reclaim Pride a few days ago features drag queen Marty Cummings ranting that Samaritan's Purse is a bigoted anti-Muslim, anti-LGBTQ institution that has instilled bigoted beliefs into the world. What? When did they ever do that? They just came to New York City to help people. Like, are you serious? This is how far the gay the gay rights movement has gone. If you are gay and you are out there and you don't act like this, I'm so sorry that we all claim that I mean that we claim that you all act like this, but I'm sure you don't. I'm sure you don't claim to be like this. And I do apologize for those who are uh, who are a part of the LGBT community that finds this ridiculous and stupid. Um, now there is no doubt that a man who provides the essential service of dancing in women's clothes is in a good position to criticize volunteer healthcare workers. Okay. What are you doing, Mr. Boy, who's dressing like a girl? What are you doing to help the community? What are you doing to help people besides ranting about people being bigots? Thanks for helping us with the coronavirus, Mr. Guy who dresses like a woman. Thank you. We appreciate that. You have saved many lives for doing this, for closing down a, a hospital that might even possibly be free. 
Because these are volunteer workers. Nobody's getting paid. Even so, I have to wonder why Cummings, if he cares so much for LGBTQ people and Muslims, is calling for the banishment of an organization that serves LGBTQ people and Muslims. Okay, last time I checked, last time I checked, Muslims kill gay people. I for, I, I guess some people forgot about that. If you go to a jihadist country, let's say, uh, let's say, what, what can I say? We can say Iran. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you will not survive a day in Iran if you are gay. They will throw you off a building. They will shoot you in your face. They will stone you to death. And if you're a woman and you're not covered up, they will kill you as well. If you want to talk about supporting LGBTQ people and Muslims, think again. Because if you don't look at the Quran, it has many, many violent stories in it. Very violent stories in it. I have Muslim friends, but they are an Americanized Muslim people. They're Americanized. They're not, they're not used to those ways. They moved here when they were young. Very, very young. They don't, they're not used to that. And most of them are from African countries. Many of the Middle Eastern countries are the most dangerous ones. If you're talking about gay people. By the way, i like to know if Cummings has ever spoken out against any Muslim group for their bigoted views about the LGBT community. If it was a Muslim charitable organization serving the sick in New York, would Cummings be making the same criticisms? Or would he be attacking anyone who says exactly what he is saying about Samaritan's purge purse? I'd ask the same question of NYC Council Speaker Corey Johnson, who excoriated the Christian group in a lengthy Twitter harangue. Harangug. I, I don't know how to say that. Harangu claiming that it is, quote, an affront to our values of inclusion and is painful for all New Yorkers. Okay, last time I checked, why in the hell do we care about inclusion when it comes to hospital? We don't need two black people, two gay people, two Muslim people, two Asian people, two Hawaiian people. Why do you care about inclusion so much? Why do we care about that? Why do we care about identity politics? Like some people got mad when Trump Trump started his task force and people said, there's not a lot of black people on it. Do we need to have Smokey, uh, Smokey, no, not uh, saying different people, Smokey Robinson. Do we need those people? Do we need Diana Ross on our task force team? Do we need uh, Aretha Franklin? Do we need your boy Martin Lawrence? We don't care about inclusion. Black does not mean that you, I mean, we're not talking about skin color. We're talking about values. We're talking about uh, your, uh, your work effort, your work ethic. If you don't work hard enough, it doesn't matter your skin color. You're not going to get the job. I'm not the type of person who would hire somebody just because they're black. I would hire somebody just because they have a good record of being a good employee. If you want to talk about inclusion, you go somewhere else with that. You go try to include gay people inside of a Muslim inside of a Muslim mosque or something. You go say, I want to be gay and I want to be a Muslim. See how that works out for you. Ask them for inclusion. Okay. So he said it's painful for all New Yorkers. For Christians to help sick people? Johnson said that the Samaritans 
pers- founder, quote, notoriously bigoted, hates spewing. Franklin Graham, he, this is what he said. That's what Franklin Graham said. Quote, came at the time when our city couldn't in conscience turn away any other offer of help. We should pause to appreciate the awe-inspiring pettiness of this accusation. It is not very often that a person is accused of nefariously talk, taking advantage of a crisis in order to provide kindness and charity. So you're literally accusing somebody of being bigoted because they open a hospital and they're Christian? Do you not hear the hypocrisy going on? You want to talk about bigoted? You're being bigoted for completely calling somebody disgusting, basically, because they're Christian and they opened a hospital, a free hospital, to help people in New York City during this horrible pandemic. That's stupid. Johnson, along with many other critics of the other organization, also takes issue with the statement of faith that all volunteers are required to sign. But contrary to how the statement is characterized by LGBTQ activists, there is nothing bigoted about it. Here's the relevant but touching on the issue of marriage. This is a basic Christian tenet and does not imply bigotry toward anyone. It seems a rather reasonable thing for a Christian organization in order to preserve its identity as a Christian organization to ensure that its members are, in fact, Christian. What would be unreasonable and truly bigoted is if patients were made to sign statement pledging their fealty and obedience to Christian doctrine before receiving treatment, but Samaritan's Purse has no such requirement. That would be bigoted. Exactly. That that exact sentence would be bigoted. That that asking people to have obedience to pray to praise your God, that will be bigoted. If they did that, that would be bigoted. Nobody would want to go to their hospital. But they didn't. They have no such requirement. The real reason here is one that we have learned many times over by how by now left when gay activists are so often bullies who wish to impose their priorities and viewpoints on everyone else in every situation, no matter the context. Okay, so if I was at a bar, oh, you don't like gay people? Hmm, well, you're bigoted. You need to get out of this. You need to get out of this bar. You're no longer allowed here because you're not gay, so you don't like gay people. Okay. Honestly, I think the gay movement is so toxic. It's so toxic. Minds and prejudicial dispositions that they vo- that we would actually hail the shuttering of a Christian field hospital during a pandemic as a victory for their cause, and it is a victory for their cause if their cause is to be so unsympathetic and unlikable that even people who disagree with the Christian teaching on homosexuality are forced to defend Christian. Charitable organizations. Radical gay activists always claim that they just want to be left alone. To live their own lives and make their own choice. But that is exactly what they won't allow anyone else to do. It turns out that they want to have their choices affirmed. Not merely allowed or tolerated. 
And as far as they're concerned, it's our job to provide that affirmation. Indeed, even during a pandemic, our primary duty is to still be affirmation providers to the radical LGBTQ left. Samaritan's Purse, on the other hand, was just trying to help people. If there was any attempt to evangelize it, was by dead an example, by deed an example. Maybe gay activists should try a similar strategy for a change. We'll be right back with more information after this break. Thanks for sharing your DIY haircuts. Thanks for sharing your savage moves, and especially your awkward ones. Thanks for sharing your cute kids and your adorable pets. Now it's our turn to share with the Geico Give Back. A 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies for both current and new customers. And because we're committed for the long haul, the credit lasts your full policy term. So thanks again. One good share deserves another. Okay, we're back to some LGBTQ stuff. Okay, here's our next article. Gabrielle Union says transgender kids feel disposable. Let's check out the definition of disposable. Wait, after I read the whole entire... Um, the, the name of the t- uh, name of the article. Okay, so it says, Gabrielle Union says transgender kids feel disposable if parents don't transition them. Let's check out the definition of disposable. Intended to be used once or until no longer useful and then thrown away. This is the Google definition. Or readily available for owner's use as required. I don't want to say that people are thinking that these transgender kids are property, but <laughs> she's using some weird words for it. So, here is the article. Actress Gabrielle Union chastised parents who refuse to transition their children into their preferred gender, arguing it makes them feel disposable. This past February, Union and her husband, former NBA star Dwayne Wade, revealed that their 12-year-old son now identifies as a female. Appearing on the Ellen DeGeneres show on Monday, Union said that she deserves no recognition for supporting her son's transition because all parents should have should love that. Ellen praised Union for having such unconditional love. Quote, I know this is silly to say because you know who doesn't love their children unconditionally, but I guess a lot of people don't. But it's so amazing how supportive you've both been, said Ellen, as reported by Newsbusters. Quote, I mean to us, it's a little odd to get any kind of recognition for doing that. For doing what? You know, you're supposed to do. Which is love and accept and embrace your kids. So it's cold to get recognition for that. Respond Union. Respond Union. Quote, but, but unfortunately, there are so many people who just don't. They just don't. And so many people who really, truly feel their kids are disposable. If they're not perfect images of them, they're not interested. They aren't interested. And it's heartbreaking. So for us, we are just doing what's natural to us and loving her. There she is. There is our girl. Yeah. We just want to be happy. Or do we just want happy, healthy, you know, compassionate kids? Ellen did scolded parents who tried to mold their kids into what they want them to be 
instead of what they are. Okay. Obviously. We know. We know that gender is immalleable. But we still let people believe that it is. For some reason, we let people believe that it is. But you cannot influence children to think this way. You are going to confuse children. We've talked about this in the past on my on my YouTube channel and including on this podcast. We've talked about this in the past. Gender is immalleable and we shouldn't be teaching kids this. We already know there are cross-dressers, right? There's men dressing like women, right? That's drag queens. But that is just for show. That's not what they actually are. Most drag queens aren't actually transgender. But what we need to think about is the children and what we should be teaching them. That gender is immalleable. There's only two genders. Uh, this is This is just common knowledge. And if you don't, you probably have a mental disability. To be honest, we're talking about real honesty right now. There are people that actually have mental disabilities. And there is something else that is also a mental disability as well. It's called gender dysphoria. When you don't know which gender you are. People who believe they are boys when they are actually biologically girls. People who believe they are girls who are actually biologically boys. This is gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder. We're talking about a legit biological thing that happens to your brain. When people believe that they are something that they are not, this is somewhat of a childish thing. Like if I said, I'm a firefighter, because I, I was a kid, obviously. I say I'm a firefighter and I'm fighting a fake fire, right? That's just imagination. That's just, that's just something that you want to be. But are you actually a firefighter? No, because you're a kid, right? So we can't sit up here and see adult. We can't see adults thinking that gender is malleable. Come on now. If you honestly believe this in your like legit heart, in your legit being, or in your mind, then you probably are small-minded. Not close-minded, but small-minded. You are obviously so open-minded. Very open-minded. You cannot disagree with anything your child says. That that seems like a very open-minded parent. I uh, just open-minded parents aren't the best parents at all, because if you were open-minded parent, like legitimately, you would be saying, "You know what, kids? You know it's okay. Go ahead, jump off that bridge because you're a kid, and I accept you. I love you because you want to do what you want to do, and I should accept that." You know, telling a kid that they can change their gender is a bit ridiculous. That is something that somebody that's a teenager. Or over the age of 18 can handle. They can handle. They know what they want to be. They know what they want. Kids don't. If you're a kid. You're only 10 years old. You don't even know what it feels like to go through puberty yet. You don't know what it is to be a man yet. Your penis is the size of a cut carrot. Or a diced. Or a diced fruit. It's not even the size of anything. And you're, you're talking about wanting to be a female. You are, you are not an adult. You don't make adult decisions. Caitlyn Jenner, like I've mentioned many times. He wanted to be a female, right? So he decided to dress as a female. He was 40. He was in his 40s when he did that, right? A full-grown adult. Been an adult for more than 20 years. 40 years. No, 20 years. (laughs) Sorry. 
You've been an adult for more than 20 years. I think they are very eligible and able to do whatever you want after you become an adult. But to say that you're going to allow your kids to do whatever they want because you accept them and love them is a bit ridiculous and bad parenting and bad suggestions for parents who want or people who want to become parents. That's bad suggestions. And if you're saying that people are having their kids as disposables because they don't want to accept that their kid wants to be something that they're not is a bit ridiculous. Maybe we want to be normal parents with normal kids who don't say that they want to be something that they're not. Maybe we don't want our kids to be tricked in life. Or maybe we want our kids to see the real world. Like I said, there's trans- there's transgender people in my life. There's gay people in my life. But does that mean I agree with what they do? No. But is it my business? No. But when it comes to children, then it's everybody's business. Because if you're telling children that they can be whatever they want just because they are... I have to take a call. So we shouldn't just agree with our children just because they say they want to be something. Like I said, I have LGBTQ people in my life. Do I agree with them? No. It's my business? No. So that's just something that you want to do. You can wait till you're about 18 to make drastic life decisions. Cutting off your penis. That's a drastic life decision. Many things can change in the next 10 years for you. You're only 10 years old. Many things can change in the next 10 years. You might find a girl that is actually very beautiful and you just want to stick your things. Not being a me too, but, you know, you might feel at some point that you might like a girl very much because boys are lonely. Most things like this happen because they just don't have a girl around them to show them or a guy around them to show them because most basketball dads are not around their kids. Most sports dads are not around their kids a lot. They just have them. They, they, their wife pops them out. Boom. Then they live their life. So, quote, Zaya is a very, very lucky, is very, very lucky to have both of you as parents. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people have children thinking they can mold them and make them who they want them to be and have a certain idea of what they're supposed to turn out like. But, all turn out different, said Ellen. Ellen, you're gay. We know that. But you're not going to tell other people how to parent their children. Same thing with me. I can't tell, I can't tell, uh, I can't tell Dwayne Wade that he can't tell his son to that he can be a girl. What I'm saying is, it's bad parenting. It's dangerous for your kids to think like this. It's dangerous for you to Tell your kids to think like this. But am I going to sit there and tell you, no, you can't do that? No. When I have kids, I'll have them and I'll teach them the right way. And if they want to choose that lifestyle at 18, go ahead and do that. It's not, it's no longer my, you're no longer my responsibility once you're an adult. You have your own life, you have your own lifestyle, and I can't control you. So, in February, Union's husband, Dwayne Wade, appeared on the Ellen DeGeneres show, where he held his son, now named Zaya, for having the courage to embrace gender transitioning. Quote, we are proud, when I say proud, we are proud parents of a child in the LGBTQ plus community, and we are proud allies as well. Wade said on the, on the show, I don't care if I'm an ally of anybody or not. Honestly, I'm going to have my opinions, whether or not you like me. 
you will not change my opinions. I don't care about being an ally. <laughs> People really throw out this ally term like it's so important. You really want to be an ally. Wow, I want to be protected. What a snowflake. Quote, I think going forward, I'm ready to live my truth. Okay, I hate when people say my truth. It really disgusts me. I'm not going to get deep into that, but it just really makes me so tempered. Like, I can't stand when people say my truth. There is no such thing as my truth. It's the truth. People constantly throw that word around. That phrase around. My truth. You have no truth. You have an opinion. What? Saying that you're a girl even though you're a boy is not truth. That's that's literally impossible by biology. But you could say, I want to be a girl even though I'm a boy. You can say that. I'm pretending or I'm acting. But you can't say it's the truth. That's ridiculous. I want to be referenced as she and her. And I would love for guys to call me Zaya. Well, I'll call you Zaya, yes. You changed your name to Zaya. But I would not call you she or her. That's just not something I would do. You're a dude. I watched my son, quote, I watched my son from day one become into who she is. Now eventually come into, quote, he told the All the Smoke podcast. Quote, and for me, nothing changes in my love. Nothing changes in my responsibilities. So all I had to do now is get smarter, educate myself more, and that's my job. He continued noting. Quote, you want to talk about strength and courage? My 12-year-old has way more than I have. You can learn something from your kids. I didn't know saying that you were... A dude, I mean, saying that you were a girl, even though you're a dude, was courage. I thought going to the military was courage. I thought firefighting was courage. I thought being a police force was courage. I didn't know that saying I'm a, I'm gay or I want to be a girl is courage. Look what our world has come to. They think this is courage. I think this is just something that's mainstream now. There's a lot of people coming out as transgender. There's a lot of people coming out as gay. It's nothing new. Why are we calling this courage? It's not courage. You're not changing anybody's life doing this. Nothing. You're not saving anybody's life doing this. Wow, you're so special, Zaya. You're so special. I'm, I'm just so happy that you're alive because you helped me. You saved my life. As a firefighter, saved my life. You helped me so much. As military people go out there and fight in those wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. You saved my life, Zaya. Not those people. Those people didn't save nothing. You're such a hero. You are so courageous. You are the savior of this country. I think not. <laughs> we'll be back with more information after this. Nobody said it was going to be easy for us, but we will never be stopped. I will be the greatest jobs president that God ever created. Record low unemployment and a record high stock market. 
The Trump economy is red hot. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. Now Kim Jong-un says President Trump will pay dearly for those words. Getting a good picture of everybody so we look nice and handsome and thin. And Beautiful. North Korea now committing to complete denuclearization. I mean, it's truly remarkable what he's doing. He has done more than any president in recent history, certainly in the last half century. He's not a politician. He's one of us. Never, ever, ever give up. Never stop fighting for what you believe in and for the people who care about you. Carry yourself with dignity and pride. Relish the opportunity to be an outsider. Embrace that label, because it's the outsiders who change the world and who make a real and lasting difference. Treat the word impossible as nothing more than motivation. Three American hostages are back home. I am asking all citizens to embrace this renewal of the American spirit. Seize this moment. Believe in yourselves. Believe in your future. And believe once more in America. I will fight for you with every breath in my body. And I will never, ever let you down. The forgotten man and the forgotten woman. You're not forgotten anymore. Okay. Michelle Obama says she was insulted by low voter turnout in 2016. Quote, it was a slap in the face. Okay. So, obviously, Michelle Obama is not proud of something that happened almost four years ago. She's not happy that, well, she kind of blamed black voters for uh, the 2016 turnout of the election of Hillary Clinton losing, which was preposterous. I mean, well, maybe it was black people's fault. Maybe they actually liked, maybe they actually liked Trump and maybe they didn't want a female to be president. Because in some cases, in many cases, females can't really run a country as you see Germany and as you see uh as you've seen the United Kingdom before Boris Johnson stepped up to the plate and became prime minister. You know, many of these countries with female prime ministers or chancellors or just leaders in overall did not really go so well. They're not very well led. They're mostly led off of morality. And I mean, well, everybody's supposed to be leading off of morality, but they're mostly led off of emotions. I am saying that women are emotional. I am saying that exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, not a lot of people like uh, Hillary Clinton. She was very corrupt. She still is very corrupt. Um, and I hope she never runs for president ever again. And for you to, you know, call out people because they didn't vote for her is okay. It's okay, Michelle. I'm glad you didn't win. I'm glad you didn't run, Michelle. Even if you did, the the black the black community would just be at an uproar of 
amazement by you running, even though you have no reason to run, you have no policies, your husband didn't do anything to have you at such a high standard or a high praise because you were a black woman in the White House. Congrats. Okay. Former First Lady Michelle Obama is headlining a major push to increase voter turnout in 2020 presidential election. A cause, she says, she's embraced after seeing a major drop of an interest in voting in 2016. Yeah, a lot of people didn't vote in 2016 because you either had Trump, which everybody thought was a racist, or you had a corrupt politician, which is Hillary Clinton. Obama made the admission in a preview for her upcoming documentary, Becoming. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> I don't even understand why she has a documentary, Becoming. I'm not, I, honestly, honestly, I know you guys probably think I'm a hater of the Obamas, but I don't care about them. They are not special to me. They're, they did nothing. That's why I'm just so su- stunned by pe- the things that people give to them. The the assignment that people just love them so much. I'm like, why? What did they do? Because every time I ask an Obama supporter, every time we were having a debate, I said, what did Obama do that that, that he did as president? Oh, he was black, right? He, he, he was a black dude in the White House. Why don't you like Barack Obama? Like, you hating on my man's but Like, because some people just get so angry when I say I don't like Obama. Why can't I like, can I, why can I not like him? He didn't do anything that helped me out. Obamacare was a disaster. He heavily taxed people. He gave us a recession. A lot of people lost their homes. A lot of people lost their livelihoods. And you're telling me that Obama was a good president? Piss off with that. Obama made their admission. I, I could say, I could say Obama was presidential. Yes, you know he was he was a smooth talker. He knew how to talk. Yes, but Trump is effective. He's not going to smoothly talk to you. He's not going to tell you things that you want to hear. He's going to tell you things that you need to hear. Obama made the admission in a preview for her upcoming documentary, Becoming, which follows Obama's quest to regain normal life after leaving the White House while also using her newfound status to press for public change, according to CNN. Okay, nobody cares about what happened after you left the White House. Everything you did in the White House is the only thing that matters. Nobody cares about your life afterwards. You're not important. The film also follows the former First Lady's book tour, promoting her autobiography of the same name, although little of the film is political at least according to early reviews by primarily mainstream media outlets, Obama does talk about the 2016 election and takes a more conciliatory conciliatory tone towards those who voted Republican, laying much of the blame for then-nominee Hillary Clinton's loss of at loss at the feet of Democratic voters who turned out to vote for her husband, former President Barack Obama, but not the 2016 nominee. Okay. Honestly, if you want me to be legitimately honest, a lot of people who like Trump voted. Most people who liked Trump or who was Republican voted. Many Democrats didn't want to vote because you didn't want to be turned on if you voted for Trump, right? You didn't want to be deemed a racist by your friends or family that you're racist, but then again, you had a bad presidential candidate for, which was Hillary Clinton. So nobody really went to support her. So, 
quote, I understand the people who voted for Trump. So it says, quote, I understand the people who voted for Trump, Obama says. Quote, the people who didn't vote at all, the young people, the, men, the women. That's when you think, man, people, uh-oh, people think this is a game, she said. Quote, it wasn't just in this election. Every midterm, every time Barack didn't get the Congress he needed, that was because our folks didn't show up. After all that work, they just couldn't be bothered to vote at all. That's my trauma. Women did not turn out to vote in 2016. They just turned out to vote for Clinton's opponent, the Republican nominee Donald Trump. Young people are not a reliable part of any voter coalition, as Senator Bernie Sanders found out earlier this year when they materialized in droves for political rallies but failed to cast ballots to boost Sanders to the front of the pack of potential 2020 Democratic presidential nominees. Maybe it's not because young people didn't come. Maybe it's because a lot of people do not want a socialist as a president. People young and old didn't want a socialist as president. Very likely that that was the reason. Very likely that women did turn out to vote for Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, but not many did on Clinton's side. <laughs> to say that it's just young people who didn't come out to vote is ridiculous. Because I'm sure a lot of people went to these rallies and they voted. Because if you see the turnout from 2016, from Hillary Clinton's rallies to Donald Trump's rallies, you see thousands of more people at Hillary Clinton's rallies. And if you've seen these pictures recently in the past couple of weeks, I mean, at the past couple of months, uh, ever since probably like before November or so, there was pictures of Joe Biden's campaign group or uh, at his rallies and nobody was really paying attention. A lot of people were on, on their phones. There's a lot of old people. Nobody was standing up. Nobody was cheering. It's just the same thing with people who judge. Most of these Democratic Politicians are just so boring. That's why people didn't vote. That's why people didn't want to cast their vote. That's why people didn't jump up at the rallies. That's why people didn't show up. Because they are boring. That's why there's so much opti optimism for Trump to win the 2020 election. Because people go out there and vote. People actually care to vote. People actually want to see President Trump win again. We're not all the same people. But all the young people are not the same. They don't all believe democratic values. Or democrat values. We should say democrat because democrat is a party, not democratic. But honestly, people came out to vote for Donald Trump because they actually believed in what he was saying. People didn't vote for Hillary Clinton because she basically said the same thing that every other democratic president has said. Bill Clinton said the same thing. Uh, Barack Obama said the same thing. And any other democrat president has said the same thing. Over and over again, we need a new change. And Donald Trump was that change. And then in the 2020 uh, election or primaries or whatever, these people were the same. They preached the same rhetoric. And then we had a gay dude who was people to judge. We, we just obviously needed some inclusion. Um, you had a woman who thought she was Indian. 
that's Pocahontas. We just needed that inclusion. We have somebody who was a mega billionaire. We just needed that inclusion. We had an Asian guy who wanted to promise everybody gets a thousand dollars. That had to be inclusion. You had a woman who said, my hair would fare, uh, how would your hair fare in the blizzard? You had that woman, Amy Klobuchar. Uh, you had just a bunch of different people in there. And you had a person, a radical leftist, who said he was going to take your guns. This is just crazy. And it's outrageous. So, women did turn out to vote like, in 2016, like she said. It's Bernie Sanders. Okay, found out this year, earlier this year. Okay. So, where Obama is, right, though is the terms of coalitions. President Barack Obama drew out atypical voters in 2008 and again in 2012, giving them the Democratic candidate a boost that previous Democratic candidates didn't have. The same coalition failed to turn out for Clinton, perhaps because they simply weren't as energized by the septuagenarian former Senator and Secretary of State as they had been by the young Obama. Quote, Clinton saw noticeable clips in voter support among African Americans, Hispanics, and voters under 30 compared to Obama in 2012, and African Americans turnout fell by 7 percentage points between 2012 and 2016. Its first drop in 20 years. Quote, it takes some energy to go high, and we were exhausted from it. But when you are the first black anything, Obama says, so the day I left the White House and I write about how painful it was to sit on that stage, Obama added, referring to her required presence at President Donald Trump's inauguration, quote, a lot of our folks didn't vote. It was almost like a slap in the face. <laughs> it kind of looked like a slap in the face. Uh... Clinton obviously wasn't very happy that day Trump got inaugurated, but she had to be there. I mean, not really. She could have chose to not be there, but it would just make her look bad. So, Obama has become a key figure in, quote, get out the vote efforts this time around. Headlining an all-celebrity push to register first-time voters. I don't know why Democrats are so fond of celebrities. Why they care so much about what celebrities say. So if a celebrity says, go vote for blah, 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 then we're going to just follow it. Why do you care about what a celebrity says? They have no political background. They have no intention to uh, to uh, actually have a political discussion or they have no reason to vote for that person. Why should we believe po- Why should we believe celebrities, especially singers or actors? Why They, they don't know anything about politics. They don't know anything about politics. For me, I am a political commentator. I've been studying politics for many years now. Even though I'm a teenager, I've been studying this for many years. I know the ins and out of politics. So, it's very it's very common for people to turn up celebrities to get their news or to get what they want. But it's stupid. You shouldn't be following celebrities. Just like I don't follow celebrities. I'm not going to follow whatever Taylor Swift says because she's Taylor Swift. So, we'll be right right back with uh, our last article of the day in just a sec. Apartments.com puts more renters in new homes than any other website. How? By sniffing out more listings than anybody else. Really? Things are going really well with us. My lease is up on the first, and I think he wants me to move in with him. What? 
got a potential lead on a vacancy. What's up with this dog? Is, is that your dog? Good boy. What, what's up with the cone? I told you this would work. Apartments.com, the most popular place to find a place. The epidemiologist behind the doomsday model resigns after breaking lockdown to meet married lover. Ferguson response. Okay, so we already know about the guy who, uh, I think he was from the UK, yeah? And he made this uh, prediction that millions of people will die. That is like a, that's like a doomsday model that many people believe at first. And everybody remembers when the media just went off on this, when they all said millions of people are going to die from the coronavirus. Oh my goodness, we have to lock down. We have to lock down. But that was just a prediction. Now we know so much more after months uh, have gone by now. And uh, we know more about this. And we know that it did not or will not kill millions of people as it predicted. So, let's read the article. Professor Neil Ferguson, the epidemiologist behind the highly cited novel Coronavirus Doomsday Model from London Imperial College, resigned Tuesday after allegedly breaking lockdown rules to meet with his married lover. Ferguson, whose motto triggered UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson to enforce lockdown, resigned from his government advisory position on Tuesday night. As the Telegraph can reveal, he broke social distancing rules to meet his married lover. The Telegraph reported Tuesday. Professor Neil Ferguson allowed the woman to visit him at home during the lockdown while lecturing the public on need for strict social distancing in order to reduce the spread of coronavirus. The woman lives with her husband and their children in another house, the report said. One at least on at least two separate occasions, thirty-eight year old Antonia Stat, uh, Stats, Ferguson's alleged married lover, left her home and traveled across London to meet up the, with the government scientists. Quote the fifty one year old had only just finished a two week spell self isolating after testing positive for coronavirus, according to the telegraph. Quote, I accept I made an error of judgment and took the wrong course of action, Ferguson told the outlet Tuesday. Quote, I have therefore stepped back from my involvement and in saved the government scientific advisory group for emergencies. Quote, I acted in the belief that I was immune, having tested positive for coronavirus and completely isolated myself for almost two weeks after developing symptoms, he continued. I deeply regret any undermining of the clear messages around the continued need for social distancing to control this devastating epidemic. The scientists added, the government guidance is equivocal, 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 and is there to protect all of us. Ferguson's coronavirus modeling projected that 2.2 million deaths in the United States and 500,000 in the UK without my mitigation triggering Prime Minister Johnson to abandon so-called herd immunity strategy. The imperial model has also been favorably cited by Dr. Deborah Burks, a leading voice in the United States White House Coronavirus Task Force team. Ferguson has been widely criticized not only for his steep COVID projections, but past outlandish projections too. Yeah, he's made some very weird projections. You're going to hear some of this in this video 
real quick by Steven Crowder. So, here it is. You guys remember, well, a lot of you probably have forgotten, uh, but don't you, I remember... I remember when the the death the death toll was going to be 2.2 million way back. Right? Oh yeah, that was yeah. A way back. Ago. What started all of this, right? <laughs> yeah. It was going to be 2.2 million deaths in the United States, 500,000 in the UK. Yeah. Those were the numbers that we heard, and we had to act now, just in case you think I'm making it up. The British, rocked by a startling UK report warning of a catastrophic epidemic, the same research suggesting without any action. 2.2 million Americans could die. If the U.S. doesn't take these steps, 2.2 million Americans could die. Peter Navarro, who you saw on our air yesterday, he wrote two memos trying to warn the White House that coronavirus could cost the country trillions of dollars and kill up to 2 million Americans. In this fight against a pandemic that the White House has been warned could kill over 2 million Americans, more Americans than died in every war since 1776 without these strict social distancing that number could be as high as two million americans so just so, just to be clear the virus is not but uh, that 2.2 million number uh was a hoax yeah. the number big was a hoax, hoax. okay yeah. there, you know 2.2 million bigfoot kavanaugh rape yeah. Yeah, balloon boy I want to be clear, where did this number come from? Because this was ubiquitous, right? This is the number that everybody yeah. believed, and we had to act, and we had to take drastic measures because 2.2 million, right. and, and we know now that the numbers, it couldn't be possible in the United States if you actually look at our demographics and you look at the media. It's not a possibility here in the United States. It could have never been a possibility. But let me introduce you to the founder of the feast, the man who came up with this number, Dr. Neil Ferguson from the Imperial College uh, in London. He is the one, again, responsible for the 2.2 million Americans will die number. Here he is advocating, uh, you know, China-style lockdowns. I will now speak with Professor Neil Ferguson, director of the Abdul Latif Jamil Institute for Disease and Emergency Analytics, or JID for short. Beyond those smaller outbreaks, one has to adopt the sort of community measures which have been adopted, particularly in places like Wuhan and China, where... You try to reduce contacts between people in the community. So why is this important? Uh, well, it's important because it's a number that we all use, but yeah. there's a real pattern here. Again, while we're talking about Dr. I keep forgetting his name. Uh, Dr. Neil. Neil. I know Dr. Neil. Neil. You know what, from now on, I'm going to call him Neil for short. Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> yeah. Neil. Um, Neil. This guy has a pattern. So we'll start with the coronavirus, but this is important because everyone has used him. They've cited him. And I think this is important to keep in mind when we talk about the experts, because everyone says this, whether you're talking about climate change, even if you're just thinking, listen, I believe the earth is warming. I believe the things are contributing to it. Right. I don't believe that the Paris Agreement will necessarily change it. Right. The same case that well, they say, well, right now, if you don't believe that 2.2 million Americans will die, well, then why are you questioning the experts? Well, let me present a case as to why sometimes you should question the experts and do your own due diligence. So let's look at the coronavirus numbers. Um, he came up with a 2.2 million number. And he refused to release uh, the workings of the study. The model is based on a 13-year-old code that is completely undocumented. Okay. I want to be clear about that. And you know what else is? This is like the 77 cents on the dollar with Barack Obama. Yeah. He's out there saying, women make a 77. And you're going, does he not have access to, to even Bing? Even if he doesn't have Google. <laughs> if he's in communist yeah, China. could help this guy. Web crawler, for crying out loud. Geocities. You wonder, hold on a second. Wow. Why, why, do, why does nobody in power have the ability to question this number? Yeah. Because this is the source of the number. And no one goes like, hey, yeah, well, what's your reference there? 
what, what, doesn't that matter to shut down code. economies? And you know that he has no problem with it. Let's go back through all of his other predictions, no. okay? Considered an authority, an expert on the issue. In 2009, uh, this man, Dr. Neil, he estimated that swine flu had a 0.4% death rate. Based on his advice, uh, a government in the UK estimated 65,000 dead. What actually happened, 457 deaths, the death rate was 0.026%. Ah, so wow, that's, that's, a, a, that's a little bit off. Bird flu was another one he made a prediction. You know, you guys know. Yeah, um, actually, matter of fact, I can say that for all of us. Credit where credit's due, <laughs> true, okay? You, you gotta at least call us consistent. The capital of virus. So, the bird flu, again, Dr. Neil, what did he say? He said two, in 2005, I believe, right, Neil? Yes. Is that what he said? In 2005? Yeah, 2005, he predicted 200 million bird flu deaths. People, wow. not birds. People. Right, people yes, people. Birds, birds who get <laughs> from bird flu. Sorry, from bird flu. I should have... I don't want to get fact-checked by who... I was screwing with him. <sighs> PETA, they're coming for you. Come what happened the to the good where, where who... They just had a few upturned noses and some wire <laughs> left from the Grinch. Now they're dominating world economies. Yeah. Oh, my God. Screw them. So the reality is... <laughs> Uh, there were only a few hundred in a decade, right, bird flu huh. deaths. Less than 100 per year on average. And keep in mind, by the way, because right now they say, well, all of the, we didn't yeah. hit 2.2 million. We didn't hit 100 to 240,000 because of the lockdowns. No, actually, the numbers uh, were, re were revised long before the social distancing could have taken effect. And then again, you can look here at the bird flu. This was done without massive yeah. lockdowns. You were alive during the bird flu. Do you remember this kind of a crash to the economy? Do you remember everyone being forced to stay in place at home? Another prediction was the, um, I, you know, the, what was it called, like the foot and mouth disease? Yeah. I don't know the, the, uh, the uh, virological nomenclature. <laughs> Epidemiological. I just remember foot wow. and mouth disease, which this guy does a lot. Foot and mouth. So it was, uh, he had a model, right, in his imperial, a team at the Imperial College. Uh, they suggested millions of farm animals, okay, yeah. uh, ha would have to be killed to prevent the spread, even if at the point there was no evidence of infection, okay? Now, what happened? Animal disease experts, keep in mind, experts. So an expert said, hey, this is going to spread. We have to kill all these animals. And other experts said, oh, okay, let's uh, massacre. <laughs> they said it looked like a, they, they had a, Culling, it was necessary, right? Because the the model from Ferguson. Well, it turns out that actually it was not necessary. They didn't take into account the species composition of farms. This is something that I read from some kind of sort of an epidemiological study. I don't really know what it means, but it was too late. Millions of animals have been killed. It cost the British economy ten billion. Well, actually, twelve point five billion uh, American dollars. This, this is all important because even if you look at this right here, where they called these animals, right? It cost twelve point five billion dollars. It shows you that Dr. Neil, whose head comes to a point, is not. <laughs> He's not scared. Yeah. He has no problem with destroying an economy with panic. He's right. done it in the past. Ferguson. So, obviously, this guy, uh, Dr. Neil Ferguson, it has, is a, he has a very controversial history of making some very, very uh, surprising, surprising, very, very surprising quotes or uh, statistics that he believes that are true. So, as they said, moreover, others have criticized Ferguson for reportedly overestimating the potential death toll in the 2005 bird flu outbreak. The Daily Wire noted, Ferguson allegedly estimated 200 million could die, but the actual total was reportedly less than a thousand. So, glad he finally resigned. Um, he should literally stop making models because he gets them all wrong.
how do you get them wrong with bird flu, swine flu, the coronavirus, etc.? How do you get it so wrong? He's been widely criticized because of his projections. And they're outlandish. So now I'm going to tell you a couple things that I like and a couple things I don't like. President Trump cruises to victory with a record-breaking Republican turnout. Trump got more total votes than Obama got as an incumbent. Republican turnout operation in Texas is extraordinary. Complete domination. Receiving more primary votes than any sitting president. We're winning. We're winning all over. We have record turnout for an incumbent president. The Republican Party has never been unified like it is now. Turnout was also huge for Donald President Trump. President Trump celebrating a record-breaking victory. It's not even a party assembly. More than President Obama had by a wide margin. Let's, let's realize how good Donald Trump's political operation is. To all Americans tonight, I'm with you, the American people. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. And we are going to keep America great. Okay, something I like is this show called Dave. Oh my goodness, it's so amazing. I, I watch it on Hulu. Uh, it's so pr- it's so good. It's just, it talks about like the rap, the rapping game, or just how it is to be a rapper. But the catch is the guy is white and he's a white rapper and like his life is so different from what other rappers go through and he's just surrounded by other white people and a uh and a rich uh black boy and it's just pretty cool it's, it's just a cool show i could really rock with it and uh i've been watching it all day i think you guys will really enjoy it it's not it's not what you expect of a rap show or a rap movie it's actually pretty funny and it's not like blackwashed or whitewashed it's just it's just a good show so uh, I think you guys will really enjoy it, and um, you might want to share with everybody that you know. So that's just something to just fill up your quarantine with, a good show, and you know, spend your time, your spare time. So go ahead and watch the show, Dave. It's on Hulu, and it's on um, FX, all right? So go ahead and watch it. We're about to tell you guys a thing that I don't like. Something I don't like. Is you know how uh, the LGBTQ people feel entitled that you should accept everything they do? They don't accept what you do. That that's a really big issue. I don't like because that's just so dumber standardized and um, it's kind of hypocrisy. Like if you want to force somebody else to support you but you don't support them, it's kind of wrong to think that way. It's kind of a big entitlement thing. A lot of LGBT people have. LGBT people have very, very high, uh, they, you know, what do you call it? A high level of, you know, wanting something from somebody else or just not even begging, not even asking, just demanding for support. That's what they do. And, you know, that's something that I really despise. I don't like when people demand respect. I don't like when people demand something because nobody deserves anything or nobody uh can get whatever they want in this world so yeah that's something that i don't like um and that is the end of the show 
um, I want to remind you, you guys are watching the Rasheed James Day Show. I am Rasheed James. I will see you guys tomorrow. Goodbye.